everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Cardell Sims. Welcome to our show, Cardell. Oh, thank you for having me. So I understand that you're formerly incarcerated. Can you Tell us kind of how that came to be and uh, how long it's been. Woo, my incarceration journey. Um, I would say my incarcerated journey started when I was 15. Um, That's when I first became a felon. The sentence, I had caught an attempted murder charge, first degree assault. And I was put into a juvenile detention center for the first time. But at this time, I could play basketball real good. And so... I had coaches come speak on my behalf, my living situation. Um, I was 15 years old. My mother was addicted to crack. My father wasn't nowhere around. I was basically taking care of myself. And so they spoke up on, on my behalf, and I went from a juvenile detention center to a foster home. From, so I was a ward of the state. When I, until I was 21 years old, when I was 19, I entered the county jail for the first time for assault. And then at 22 years old, I called my first major drug case and I sat in the county jail for six months and I got probation and then within six months of that I called another drug and gun case. I went to trial, I lost and I was sentenced to 19 years in the Missouri Department of Correction at 23 years old. And uh when I walked into this prison for the first time in receiving there was a sign and written in red letters that said leave all your dreams and hopes behind. That's what the sign read said. So I'm, 19, I'm 23 years old with 19 years, and I did six years on that. Probably after four years, the Senate bill passed that cut my mandatory minimum requirement on one of the cases. And so I was up for immediate parole. I walked in the parole hearing. They said, Mr. Sims, you are part of the problem. You got a few more years with us. And they asked me, did I want to take institutional behavior and drug treatment? I told them, yeah, because I know I get out early. So I took that. I got out early, so I ended up doing little bit over six years on the, on my first prison trip. Within two years of me being out, I was right back in the game and caught another drug case, got a parole violation. I was sent back to prison while fighting this drug case. I beat the drug case on the technicality. I did a year and a half in prison on the violation. I got out. I went right back to the same neighborhood, same block, same gang, was doing the same thing. Started selling drugs again. Um, we was in the middle of a gang war. And uh, they violated us for association because everybody that I was hanging around with was convicted felons and coming out of prison too. I was violated for association. So I got sent back to prison. I went back to prison for another violation. 
and was another year and a half in prison. I get out right back to the same thing. And then the federal government came and picked us up, picked me and 31 other people up. And I got uh, conspiracy charges, gang activity, uh, aid and abetting. And I did five years in the feds. And that's when I made the transformation during that federal time. Um, when I was in the federal courtroom, they handed me a piece of paper. They had my name versus the United States of America. And I'm like, I got to make a change. I'm tired of this. And that's when I made an oath to myself and I started to make that transformation. And I've been home for six years come August 4th. It'll be six years. What was kind of the turning point? I mean, why did that cause you to, to go, man, I, I don't want to do this anymore? I was 34 years old at the time, and I and just looking at that paper, it may it was like a, a reflection, a flash of my life. Like, man, you're 34 years old, you got a fresh federal case. You just spent most of your 20s in prison, getting out and been going back and forth from prison. Now here you are in federal. Like, if you don't change it now, um, you're gonna probably end up spending the rest of your life in prison if you don't get life in prison right now. And it was two fears that I had about prison. One was I didn't want to grow old in prison. I didn't want to be 40, 50, 60, 70 years old in prison. I just didn't want to be that person. And then I also had a fear that in prison, a natural disaster can happen. And now I'm just stuck in prison to die. So it always resulted back or resorted back to me dying in prison that I didn't want to die in prison, you know. So that's when it was kind of like, well, if you don't want this to happen, if you're blessed that you don't get life on this case, then you need to be prepared for whenever you do get released. So this does so this doesn't happen. So what did you do differently? Oh, reading. The only 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 thing I had um to do was read. I just read different books. I was so used to reading urban novels and stories and stuff like that. I just started reading things that I didn't know about setting goals. I, that was one of the first book I read by Brian Tracy, How to Set Smart Goals. So I just set smart goals. And I read another book by Brian Tracy called uh, Conscious, Subconscious, Super, uh, Super Conscious. And um, then I just started reading Knowledge Yourself, Science Yourself, The Seed of the Soul. Started reading uh, business books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Contagious. Oh, man, I, I can go on about all the books I read. And, the thing was not just reading the books. I had to take notes of what I felt was most important for me out of the book right now and for the future because I couldn't take the books with me because I still was in federal holdover. And I was waiting to get actually transferred over to a federal uh, prison once I got sentenced. So I had to take notes on everything I read. So when I got sentenced, I sent all the notes home and had somebody send all the notes back to me while I, once I got the eleven work. So in Leavenworth, I continued that same regimen, reading different books about peace, harmony, just combining everything. And I took this class called Consciousness and Success, and it taught me about vision boards and affirmation. Um, that's all I did in prison was like program, read books, program. I ended up coming out of prison with like a lot of certificates in entrepreneurship, uh, I was safe in food inspection. I came out, uh, with a hotel and hospitality lodging uh, certificate from the Institute as a certified concierge, like I was programmed. So one of the programs I took was Conscious and Success, and they taught me about vision boards and affirmation. 
So once I applied them two things to what I was already doing that regimen, it was it was kind of like the, the booster that I needed. Um, and, and so once you got out, what did you try to do? Oh, once I got out, all I had was just I didn't have no money or anything. So all I had was them legal photos of all the information and my goals. And I, I, I had to go to a halfway house. And when I walked into the halfway house, they gave me a bus pass and they gave me a list of jobs that were hiring. They said, you got to get you a job. I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to work in no factory job because I knew if I wouldn't have worked in a factory, I was going to end up quitting because I didn't like the work. I didn't really want to be, be at work, so I was going to quit. So I knew this before coming out of prison. But I also knew I wanted to be a speaker as well. So when I looked at the, 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 um, the list that they gave me, it had all factory jobs, and it had one job that wasn't a factory. It was telemarketing. And so I got this job at a telemarketer. I used to ride the bus to a telemarketer job at 7 o'clock in the morning, talking to people, convincing people to get them out their timeshares and setting up appointments. And so that helped me become a speaker because I had to start reading script and everything. So it was kind of like I, tra I, I transitioned into coming out of prison to one of my goals of being a speaker, just kind of like, well, you're in speaker training now. You're learning how. You're getting educated on how to speak. And so I took it as that. So when I got off work, I had wrote a couple books while I was incarcerated. So I would get on the uh, halfway house lab, I mean, computer lounge, and just type up my books. And I, on my vision board, I want to be a life coach. And so I Google, you know, online life coaching courses, and I pay for that, and I would take that. So my everyday routine would be go to work, come out, type on the books, do your life coaching courses, you know, end of the day. Uh, and that was my routine. What kinds of barriers did you face as you tried to reintegrate after incarceration? This last time, um, the barriers that that I, that I faced with was housing. Um, having certain kind of cases, I, I, I couldn't um, apply for certain uh, assistance. When you know assistance when I needed it, whether it was uh, financial assistance, uh, housing assistance couldn't get section eight because of my drug cases uh transportation uh because when i moved the uh i didn't have a vehicle and so the place where i moved didn't have a, a public transportation system so trying to get to and where i needed to get to as far as employment and everything else like that um and and how long were you doing the telemarketing for so I did a telemarketing job for four months and then I was put on a house arrest. And so then um, I got put on house arrest in a different city. And so I got, a, I had to lose, I had to leave that job. And I started working at Dollar Tree in the morning, stocking at five o'clock in the morning, five and 11 in the morning. Then I went, I worked right at the uh, sporting goods store next door as a sales associate. And so this is where I gained my, learning how to interact with customers because I still was fighting um, the antisocial um, part of me that I had gained in prison, you know, didn't want to be around a lot, around a lot of people and things like that. So when I got the, the uh, sales associate job, it, it taught me how to interact with people and not be afraid to interact with people. And at what point did you uh, start doing your podcast? I started doing my podcast um, right 
at the end of COVID because what happened, COVID hit. And so all of the sales associate marketing promoting job that I was doing while building my company, uh, they just, you know, it was no more, but no face to face. And so I, my mentor challenged me to write a book about my life and the book took off and made the inspiration. And from that, he challenged me, said, well, just start a podcast. And so that was the, I started the podcast probably around November of 2020. And, and what's the focus of your podcast? So the podcast is called The Reentry Journey. And we highlight those who's coming out of prison and their journey to where they at in life at that point, whether they moved up the ladder at a, a company that they've been working in, whether they started their own business or whether they coaching and counseling now and things of that nature. And, and you say you're dedicated to guiding others to break free from a path of self-destruction. What does that mean? And, and, and how are you going about doing that? So what I do, I have a program that I run in prison called On the Inside Reentry Academy. It's a personal development program. We help create visions. We go over your needs, wants, how to, how to build confidence, your learning style, your personality. We do personality assessment, attitude assessments. It's a 20-week, 26-week uh, academy. We, we do it two, uh, two days a week. And so what we, what we do in there is we figure out what, what's causing you to stand in your own way. What's causing you, you know, saying what are the factors that play into that? Then once we understand the factors, we help basically uh, provide solutions and answers to them, um, the problems that's causing you to do that. And so that's how I really um, focus in on stopping those from uh, keep repeating the cycle like I did through, the, through that program. And how many people have you worked with? In my in that program, I actually worked with right now. I'm, I work with thirty people, um, but I also do a tour. So I took my program and I turned it into a one day workshop, because in my program I bring formerly incarcerated successful people in physically to talk to the class or virtually talk to the class. So I wanted that same feeling. So I turned it into a one day workshop, and so now we we touring the country doing going to hundred correctional institutions even full-day workshops with all successful former incarcerated educators on entrepreneurship, vision board, goal setting, mental health and wellness, reentry resources, credit repair, parenting, and so much other stuff, other, other uh, topics as well. Um, why is it so important for people that are incarcerated to see successful examples of people that uh, were once in their place but now have moved on? It shows them the possibility of life after incarceration. It's something that they, that we rarely see on on the on the TVs, on the big screen. All we see is people getting out of prison and going back, going back to the same thing. Like you rarely see it. With us, like with us doing this tour, one of the reasons why I wanted to put on the tour was to show the, what the possibilities of life after incarceration is, and that there is a community of us out here that you can tap into to help you stay on track, to mentor you and help you become successful in who you want to become. And to, uh, successful to us is um, not walking down your probation or parole or not getting this big business or nothing. It's simply not returning back to prison again. Building a mindset that can keep you out of the, uh, that uh, building a mindset that helps you change your lifestyle so that you'll never go back to prison again. And that's success for us. 
What do you hear when you when you talk to people that are currently incarcerated? What are they asking? What what are their concerns? Their concerns is that the resources and are there anything that's blocking that tried to block us? Or what was the obstacles that we had to overcome to get to where we at? A lot of the questions is simply like, man, can we really do that? And I'm like, yeah, because we have people that come in that um, like myself, that build a successful speaking company that runs a for-profit and a non-profit business that got a formerly incarcerated, that got his own program inside of prisons across the country what I have been going through other organizations that already been established. Then we have a person that has a, a podcast company, a box truck company. We have one guy that he comes in, he, 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 he just cashed a hundred million dollar podcast deal check, you know, and he's for me, he did 20 years. And so they really saying we can really do that. So when they're asking that, we're the ones that's in the flesh saying, yeah, you can do that. Look at us. Um, and have you run into any barriers just trying to get into the prisons? When I first started to um, pitch my programs to get inside the prison, I ran into a lot of barriers. Um, I was new to the field. A lot of people didn't know me. I wasn't no big name. Um, they, you know, uh, the biggest one was we didn't have the, we don't have the money. We don't have the finances. We don't, it's not in our budget and things like that. So, um, but once I got my program in one prison, more doors started open. And then with the tour, I started out letting them know it wasn't going to cost them anything up front. Just open the doors and we're coming in. And so that made it easier for the tour to happen. And what does the tour look like? So the tour, you know, um, we come in 7 o'clock in the morning. We meet, we meet the staff, share our stories and stuff with the staff. Um, get a rundown on the prison, how it operates, you know, talk about the um, what's, what's the system looking like in their state. And then at eight o'clock, I, I come in and I start off with vision board, goal setting. I, everybody gets up. Uh, we got to, uh, what we do, we bring reentry resource bags. So in these bags consist of all the material that we're talking about along with worksheets. So one of the one of the things I do with vision board, which has uh, it's a worksheet that has six squares about six certain areas of their life. And then we do spend about an hour and a half filling up the vision boards, breaking it down and then how to create smart goals to manifest their vision, manifesting visions, whether it's with family, whether it's with career and everything else that they wrote down. And then we have Aaron. He comes in right after me and he does the entrepreneurship. He gives them five things that they need as far as paperwork and stuff, when they were starting a business, as far as the EIN number, uh, F, how to fill out the LLC form if they're trying to do an LLC, how to get a business address, how to get business credit. And then he uh, also teaches them how to create an elevator pitch. And then he uh, picks five or six people out of the best participants of the workshop and they come up and they get an elevator pitch. So right then and there, we get to hear some of the business ideas that some of the guys have because they take the workshop serious. So they really, when they give them the elevator pitch, they write in a real serious one. And then we have Brandon, he does job readiness. Brandon has an amazing story. Aaron was formerly incarcerated, who runs a podcast, a media company. Brandon, Brandon's formerly incarcerated, he owns his own. He has a, a cleaning services, two cleaning services. He owns one, and then he got some franchise, one he got a franchise for. Brandon's story is, while he was in federal prison, he tried to figure out what he was gonna do in his life. 
as a career. And so he looked in the almanac and he found all the information about the CEOs and the address and he wrote them all the letters, 72 letters. He sent them out from prison, asking for a career. 30 some of them responded to him. Um, and he ended up going with one company out of Chicago where he's from. And then he helped that company grow in sales and then they, they gave him a franchise. And now he, then he got some, he saved his money up and now he got his own cleaning company. So he teaches job readiness applications and things like that. Then we have um, Dallas and Trinise, they, they're a team and they, they re-enter, reclaim, and they do parent parenting um, and, and things of that nature. And then we have uh, Coach Smelly who follows up and does mental health and wellness. And then we all have a um, kind of like a form at the end where they ask questions and we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one and that's really so much um, the day. We sometimes we add a couple more, but we at least come in with five to six educators. There's been a couple of ones where we had 10, 10 educators come in, but that's typically how the, the day goes for the tour. Is there any kind of follow-up to continue working with the people? Yeah, so we so in the tour we have surveys. So on the surveys, they put their name, their institution, their number. So that allows us to get on their emailing list and um, be able to communicate with them one-on-one, -on -one, become mentors, when, and so we can uh, help them. Because a lot of the guys that we go in and uh, do our workshop for, they are on their way home within 24 months. And so we're able to build that relationship and still mentor them as they're on their way out the door. And then when they're out the door, have the resources and everything set up for them. And do you track your success rates or anything? Yes, yes. So we got a system that... Uh, we, as soon as someone gets out, they, they log into uh, this group and this app that we have. And once they get app, once they log into there, it's kind of like we do weekly meetings, keep track of them and see where they at, what they need help with, where they're struggling at, and then we keep going on. So right now, over the, we got two guys that just came out this week. And so we, we just introduced them to this new uh, uh, community that has been built called the Awakening Exchange. In there, they can find mentors, they can find those that's in the area and other resources that are available for them and, and be able to get directed to other things that's going on in the uh, reentry field in the state or in the area. From your perspective, why does this work? Why is this successful? Because they actually seeing it and hearing it from someone who actually been through their, their shoes. Like that's the most impact. Uh, one of the guys we have, on our, because uh, we're shooting a documentary to this as well. This is all being documented, turned into a documentary. So one of the guys on the documentary who has been incarcerated over 20 times, he said he's never had experienced anything like this. Uh, it gives him a sign of hope. He said he never had successful formerly incarcerated people. He almost didn't know that they existed to come back in and give everything that, that we gave and made the connections that we made with them. And it seems like it's a two-way street, like uh, you're helping them, but they're helping you. Yeah, it's a two-way two -way street. Also, one of the things that's missing in the reentry field is the, um, the lack of successful formerly incarcerated educators. And so that was one of the things I also wanted to do with the tour. Go in and show those on the inside the possibilities of life after incarceration that you can come out here be successful, change your life around, but also to introduce the institutions, the prisons, to all of these successful uh, formerly incarcerated educators on our team that have great programs, but never get the chance to get the, the opportunity to present their program 
in front of a crowd or an institution. And I have I had a couple of people um, get contracts already um, from institutions from they want in their specific program. Um, what does inmate to inspiration mean? And to me, that it's my life. Um, inmate, we hear the word inmate now um, because it's so sensitive in a sense that you can't call in people coming out of prison inmates, prisoners, convicts, felons. You know, you have to call them justice involved, formerly incarcerated. But to me, I, I use the word inmate to, to, to explain how deep into self-destruction that I was. In prison, there's three different type of people in prison. You have offenders. Usually we put a word in front of those offenders, uh, child offenders, sex offenders, et cetera. Then you have convicts, people who were simply convicted of a crime. They want to do their time. They just want to get out, do their time, come home. Then you got inmates. These are the people that run the prison. They got the gang leaders, the shot callers. They, they over the gambling debts. When there's a riot going on, they're making the calls. Like These are the people that they jelling. This is what they're doing, jelling their life. And I was one of them people. Um, that's why I continue to come back into the prison system because I was an inmate. The inspiration is the journey from coming from that mentality, that mindset to where I'm at today, that inspiration and how I changed my life around the education that it took, the, the, the attitude I had to have, the, the vision, be able to be a visionary and also be able to hustle using the same energy that I used in the streets, but turning around and using it in, in a positive way and accomplishing uh, personal and professional goals. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is that the system makes it really hard for somebody who goes to prison. Okay, they've committed their crime, but they've also done their time. And now they're, they're released and they put all these conditions on them. It's hard to get a job. It's hard to get a place to live. And it's like they're setting people up for failure. Um, can you speak to that and also how you guys have overcome that? Yeah, so when you, when you look at the recidivism rate, we're talking about within five years, almost 80% of people that got out of prison would be rearrested. Within one year, we're talking about 48%. Within two years, we're talking more about 54. Within three years, you're talking about 66. So as each year a person stay out of prison, their chance of going back in prison increases. And so that, that comes from what's available to them after incarceration. So let's look at education level. Majority of people in prison can't read, have, can't read past the fourth grade level of education, you know? And so that plays a part. And so when people are coming out of prison, we have to know exactly what it is that they need. Not only just wait, but start the process inside of prison. And so and then make the transition easier because some of the programs that they have, like it's hard to get out. You're trying to find a job. You got to be at, uh, go see your PO. Then you got to go to a counselor meeting. Then you got to go to NAAA, you know, and you, you're doing this four or five times a day coming out of prison. Like, you know, and this is too much. Like some of these programs, the counseling sessions and stuff that is, is saying I need and is mandatory. Let me take these while I'm on the inside. So I don't have had to worry about utilizing that time on the outside because I got to find, if I'm coming out, think about if I did 25 years, my family done died, I don't have no children, no family, I got to come out, I got to find a place to stay. A lot of times they don't have a place to stay and the halfway houses are worser 
um, than the actual prisons majority of the time. So, you you know, I ain't got a place to stay. I don't have family. So there goes the support system. You're not putting me out of prison with the support system. Um, I don't have uh, employment. I don't even have skills to know what type of employment that I, I need to be doing. I just spent 25 years in prison. Only the skills I got are survival skills and to survive in prison for 25 years. So you're facing all these barriers for, for us on our team. It was kind of like we had to take personal accountability because the accountability that we was looking for and other resources and other people just wasn't being provided to us. So we went and put, put the legwork in and, you know, created our own opportunities, but at the same time didn't wait for the PO to connect me to these resources or wait for this person to connect me to this. We went out and found them ourselves because it worked. It, it gets done faster. Um, and and how, how can we fix this? I mean, I... Uh... I applaud what you're doing, but uh, it just seems like we've made this so difficult for so many people. I think it's just simple. I think people are overthinking it. It just simply needs to be a bridge from on the inside of the institution to the re-entry resources on the outside. And those on the outside that can operate on the inside need to go on the inside once a week and establish relationship with those coming out so they can be comfortable with the people that they're coming out to and um, they already have a relationship. I built Second Sense employee programs for our companies and one of the companies that came to me and said, well, can we come into prisons and interview? And I said, yeah, you can come into prison and interview, but what, outside of a job, what are you having to offer? And they're like, what you mean? I said, you know, you could probably get a lot of people out of prison if you really want to, um, that will really be willing to work. If you came in here and said, you're going to give them an interview, if you hire them um, up to 60 days before they release, you'll have your HR people coming in, interacting with them, getting familiar with them. I said, you'll provide housing with them because most successful companies know somebody in the real estate market, housing or apartments. So you're able to get some type of housing. You only need four apartments or two houses or four bedroom houses. Say, you know, when you get out, we got a housing for you and we got a transportation vehicle that's going to get you to and from work and possibly to other places that you need. Not only that, we connected with the, all the resources in the area. So if you need this, 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 and that, we got them people in line too. It just a, it's a, just a direct link that needs to be bridged and all the resources need to be come together. But it seems like everybody's trying to do it on their own and want to do everything and it's never going to work that way. So what are your goals for the future? My goal is to basically have my program and all all these institutions with them direct link built basically what i'm saying my goal was to have that all across the country is to build that direct link so that's why when i'm networking i'm not just networking with the educators i'm not just networking with the uh the prisons i'm networking with the um the re-entry resources and the programs that are on the outside so we can build this one net to where we got someone on the inside in your area that's doing the programs and they're connected with the re-entry resources out there. I do it where I'm from in my physical program. Everybody in my program gets connected to all the resources that they possibly get. They get phone numbers, addresses, and everything. Even while I'm home, even right now, they can send me an email, say, Mr. Sims, uh, I need to be looking into that. And, to, and I look into it, and by tomorrow morning, they have exactly who they need, who they need to talk to with my referral. So when they go out, they know exactly where to go. If somebody wants to help you guys out, uh, what do you need? 
Yeah, so right now, uh, we just been funneling the tour out of our own pocket. We haven't had any sponsors or anything, so we're looking for sponsors or partnerships. If you got any type of services that might be geared towards correction and feel like you could be a good sponsor for us, um, that'd be as well. We take donations as well. Um, just reach out to me on my website, uh, cardiocentral.com backslash 2023 tour. And my email is cardio at cardio All right. Well, I want to thank you, Cardell, for coming on and uh, sharing your amazing story. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We've been talking with Cardell Sims, formerly incarcerated. Now he's helping other people that are incarcerated to transition and re-enter into society. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.